What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, Blake Law. This is episode 17. That's one seven of the podcast. We're glad you're able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this podcast aims to do. We are interviewing elite players who have lost one to two players in a major event, and we're just talking to them, just shooting the breeze with them about that loss and just breaking it down. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? We've all done it, and that is what this show aims to debunk. We've talked about it the last two episodes. We're back again at it. We're going back to Orlando for the Games Workshop GT that was held two weeks ago, and we're talking to another player who made that top 16 cut. We're talking about Jakari getting double admect by Richard Siegler. Now, this is part one of the podcast, so in this one, we will analyze the game, and we'll discuss the common mistakes and pitfalls to the matchups. We'll talk about secondaries. We'll talk about target priority. And we'll really just dive into, as Nick Nadavati would say, the nitty gritty of the game. In part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com, we will dive into strategies and list adjustments that the player can make moving forward. We'll talk about how his list will play into your list, into the different archetypes, shooting armies, combat armies, a mix of the two type armies. We'll talk about all the strategies they plan to implement, and we'll talk about that elite player mindset. My co-host today, he's back for football season. He is back, and he's greater than ever. I'm talking about Uncle Rico. He wants through a football's clear over the mountain. He is known as Brad Eldos. He's a nine-time member of Team USA. He may be one in Adepticon at some point. We'll have to check the archives. He has three top eight LVO finishes. He won the Arms Forces GT this year. He won ACO, Mr. Brad Chester. Hooray! Also, I swear if you call me Brad Dose, it's just going to be so much better for me when I put the Killing Blow Highlander style on Nichols and Towns, and I might have to fight them both at the same time. You're just making it a bloody mess in New Orleans. And John Lennon, because he is now the fourth honorary Brad, so... um I don't know. You're, you're going to have a lot of people to fight down there, but I believe in you, Brad. I believe in me. At least I believe in me in that. I'm really good at a couple of things. You're really good at, at slaying your opponent, slaying other Brads and laying them before you. That, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a great time. Our guest today is the found one of the founders of Florida Man 40K podcast. He is one of the original members of the Bro Hammer Gaming Group. He is the unfortunate soul who had to play Richard Siegler twice in one event two weekends ago in Orlando. I'm talking about Mr. Will Taylor. Will, we're glad to have you today. Hooray! Hooray! Glad to be here. How does it feel? Do you feel like um, all of your co co bro hammer people are just falling around you now to Nick Nanavati? He's just stealing and sniping. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's uh, he's taking all the best players. Don't blame him. Honestly, I don't blame my guys for for leaving either. Because uh, if I could be pl- uh, paid to play 40k, uh, I would totally do it. Hey, you're gonna be you're gonna be the savior for Brohammer. That's what we're ta- that's what we're talking about today, man. You're you're coming back. You made a top 16 cut in Orlando two weeks ago. I think that's a pretty awesome accomplishment, man. And the only person to beat you, I believe, was Siegler twice. Uh, it was Siegler, uh, Brian Jones, who I think got fifth place uh, with the All Knights. And then um, I lost some of my last game on day three to Michael Quinn from Jacksonville. Okay. 
All right, then. So let's just jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about what you thought about the Orlando event as a whole. We've kind of already talked to two players about it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on the terrain and just the event in general. So I was actually incredibly excited to uh, go to a GW-sponsored GT or an event even. Uh, So, and it's, you know, right in my backyard. I'm I'm from Winter Haven, which is only 45 minutes away. Uh, I loved the terrain setup. I loved the the thought process that went behind um, the layout. And I loved how every table was, you know, very far away from an additional table. Uh, Gave you and your opponent, you know, a lot of uh, ability to move around and really get a good uh, idea of what the board state was. And also, you know, having chairs to be able to sit down because I know that 40K can be fatiguing just standing in one spot for three hours. Yeah, I was really impressed with the layout they had at just the event in general. And I know we're just beating a dead horse because I've talked about it the last two episodes, but I thought the terrain was awesome. And I think it's a good, it'd be a good thing to kind of at least be a groundwork for the, like a universal terrain moving forward. Did you feel like it was pretty good for your list and just in general? Yeah, so I actually hadn't looked at exactly what the GW terrain would be going, uh, like, you know, whenever they first posted it. But we've got a big enclave down in Miami, and they had been playing it nonstop and saying that the, the terrain skews melee heavy. And so um, I did make some adjustments to my list in order to take advantage of that. That's perfect. That was my next question for you. Is, was the terrain a factor when we were building your list? And to segue into that, why don't you just tell us about your list? Sure. Uh, so I have been playing Dark Elder for a couple of months now. I am unfortunately one of the bandwagoners uh, whenever the book came out. And my old list uh, focused around uh, a big unit of Kronos. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's nothing wrong with being on the bandwagon. I've got my own <laughs> animation for it, baby. Old bandwagon Brad, baby. Oh, I, I, Brad has the, uh, the, the skills to at least back up the, uh, the bandwagon. Unfortunately, you know... <laughs> I couldn't win with it. So, but anyways, uh, my current list, the one that I made for the event, uh, was a triple patrol. Uh, I took a Archon uh, with the Gin Blade and uh, Hatred Eternal. Uh, the made him the the Splinter Genius. Uh, gave him the the Trueborn uh, with the two blasters and the Dark Lance. Uh, an additional two Trueborn units uh, with blasters each. Not Trueborn, sorry, normal Cobalites. Uh, two units of Incubi and the obligatory five Raiders with Dark Lances in that detachment. It was all Blackheart. Uh, the second detachment, I had two Succubi, uh, one with Competitive Edge and the Triptych Whip, and one with Razor Flails and the Dark Lotus Toxin. Obviously, this detachment was Stripe. Uh, I took a big unit of five, uh, no, sorry, big unit of ten Witches, and then two units of five Witches, a big unit of Hellions with the plus one attack drug, and then a big unit of Reavers with uh, three heat lances, and then my last attachment was uh, a, a third or second Kabbalite. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting tongue tied. Black Heart detachment with Drazar. Um, one of the five man Kabbalite units is actually in that one, and then uh, yeah, that was it. Brad, Strong. what do you think about that list there? Because I know you've been you've been kind of on this Drakari bandwagon for since it started. <sighs> hung, I, I'm not even on a bandwagon anymore. You've you've become a, a Drakari player. I, you know, yeah, I just can't talk either. Apparently, I actually have been playing Drakari for 21 years. So I started with Chaos, played uh, one of my first GTs with uh, Drakari. So I've been playing it for a hot minute. I only came back to them, of course, because they got really good. Don't get me wrong; I wasn't just doing it. 
for the fluff of it or anything. I was strong. But I like this list a lot. What did you roll for? Uh, did you roll for drugs or did you pick them for the larger witch squads? I ended up picking it. So the, the idea was just to make it really dummy proof. Uh, all three of the witch squads had the plus one strength. The Hellions had plus one attack, and the Reavers had the plus one ballista skill and leadership drug. I can get behind that a lot, though. It's just because I've there's a lot to be said for being greedy versus just taking the one that you really know you're going to need. How many? Uh, <clears throat> how the? How long have you been playing this particular setup, or is this something that you put together because of the tournament and the train? So, as a, a new dad um, and a person who's got a crippling WoW addiction. Um, <laughs> I didn't get much much practice uh, with the list. I, um, it was all theory crafted. You know, I thought to myself, if I run into knights, which I did, you know, I'm going to need some sort of heavy hitters for for um, for shooting. Uh, because my old list was centered around Kronos, uh, oftentimes I found myself taking while we stand, we fight, and I don't think that Dark Elder really uh, do well with running a defensive uh, secondary. So I wanted to maximize the amount of um, of melee output that uh, that I could put out in order to take advantage of a different um, secondary. So the theory was there. The theory was get across the table uh, very quickly, get into melee. You know, um, I forgot to mention I had a third incubator. I had a lot of melee in the, in the army, and the idea was to take advantage of engage or um, the battlefield supremacy or whatever stranglehold. And also take advantage of take them alive. That's something that I took every single uh, game uh, that weekend, except for one. That's great because I actually am a new dad too, so I was in the exact same boat going into Orlando with you. I think I played I played a clear one game with my list, and it wasn't even the list I ended up taking. And just uh, it was all it was all theory. So I feel you on that definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a little hard to get practice, and um, I, I could have definitely used it, but. Uh, the last time I went to a GT with Dark Eldar, I went four and one, only losing to Lennon at top table, going off of one game of practice. So I figured, hey, the army's brain dead. I'm a confident player. I should be fine. So speaking of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Brad? Why don't you run us down with Siegler's list, what he took in the game? Well, let's talk about Mr. Siegler's list on that. So he had a whole lot of everything. So he was playing some ad mech. I don't know if you guys have hear, heard about him before. They're doing all right. So he was playing the Army of Renown's Guitari Veteran Cohort, and he was playing Metallica. So he had a techno-archaeologist, a Skitari Marshal, another Skitari Marshal. He had Exemplar's Eternity. He, of course, is going to bring a little bit of the Tech Priest Manipulus with Loggy on it. He had one, two, three units of Rangers at five. He had one big unit at 19, which puts them right underneath the, what he needs for that. And then he had two units of five Vanguard. He had two units of five Infiltrators and a unit of eight Infiltrators. And then he had two eight-man Rustrockers, a, <clears throat> excuse me, ten-man Rustrocker, a unit of Sterilizers, eight strong. And then he had a unit of nine, or sorry, a unit of eight and a unit of six service raiders and he had one dune rider just so he could be extra annoying and use that secondary which is so annoying because you have to kill more of his stuff than your stuff or more vehicles basically of his stuff so basically he's getting a 15 unless you kill that dune rider i feel like i'm having deja vu and i just realized that siegler was the one to beat john and we already talked about his list and i was like oh what? where have i heard this before oh yeah we did we literally just recorded an episode with it i was just saying it's the very last episode talked about that list 
He spoiled so many things. He basically ruined it for Florida. He did. He did. And so, yeah, go listen to the episode if you haven't listened. You can hear the John Lennon recap also. But let's jump. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about this list. Let's talk about this game. What mission did y'all play, Will? So we ended up playing uh, the one where it's table quarters. Uh, where there's the, uh, the objective in the center. I can't remember the... I don't remember any of the names of the uh, missions. I only know, like, the deployment style. Search or priority? Uh, I want to say it was search. It's search. Be, be, direct assault is your secondary. Got it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So it was, like, super favorable for him uh, because he would take the the secondary where you have to kill more vehicles than he kills of your stuff. Uh, then he took the direct assault, and then he took stranglehold. So he was going to get a fi- uh, 15 on each, no matter what. Um, and... Uh, he did. He, he got 15 on each of them. I, I did make a kind of a daring play to try and get that vehicle, but it was just no way. What did you, what secondaries did you take and kind of what was your overall plan going into that matchup? So to give a little bit of background, um, I was one of the first people that Siegler played uh, back when he got back into 40K. Uh, it was like three years ago. And I used all of my uh, luck to have never had to play him again for three years, and obviously uh, ran out because I had to play him twice in a row. But I knew going into the game that it was going to be a very uh, slim chance for me to win. Uh, so I also knew that he would be running units onto objectives to get stranglehold, to you know push me off. He was just more mechanically inclined to, to get stuff done. So I took Take Them Alive because I knew I was going to kill stuff in close combat. That, that wasn't going to not happen. And then I took uh, Retrieve Octarian's data. Um, my, I forgot that I've got Mandrakes in the list, too. It's, it's been a, a, a while. But with the Mandrakes um, and having uh, at least two halves of my table of the table to me, I knew I could get at least four points, maybe even get uh, eight if I get cute. Um, and then the last one that I took, I want to say it was Engage. Yeah, it was, it was Engage, because uh, I knew I was going to get across the table a couple times. Um, I ended up, I think I only got like a, a couple of points on that. I mean, he really didn't go in on me in this game. So he kind of gave me free reign to get secondaries. Actually, the majority of my points were from secondaries. What did you, um, what, what is, for those listening, what does Take Them Alive do? What is a secondary for uh, Dark Eldar? Okay, so Take Them Alive is you get a point for each unit you destroy in close combat at the end of the game. Uh, and you get three points for every character that you kill in close combat instead. So you were able, you, you felt like you were going to be able to kind of churn out some bodies because he had so many guys, so many units over there on the other side and a couple characters. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Now, in the in the mission, this mission itself, and you played it, you played it, uh, if you talked about the things you could do differently, would you go with just stranglehold so you didn't have to over in extend into anything really and engage and just continually take direct assault and stranglehold and just kind of do the, the same old, same old trying to churn up that 15? So I thought about it and... I figured if, uh, if he has more units than I do, and um, I didn't have much practice against Admech, I thought they were a primarily shooting army, and it was proven totally incorrect uh, when it came to, to playing against this. Um, but my thought process was play my own game, kind of ignore him, uh, engage him on my terms. Uh, I didn't think that I could really fight him over the center, because, I mean, as you listed off all the, uh, the stuff that he had, he had like what three or four five uh, man units that would just run across the table and get onto the the center, um, and I even though I have a lot of stuff, my stuff isn't as durable. 
and uh, he just had more ways to to take the center. I just thought I might get more on um, secondaries if I just kind of hung out on my own side. See, when I think about when I think about like Dark Eldar and kind of the stuff you brought with like the incubi and things, I think about missiles. You know, like like all right, I'm taking this incubi and I'm going to kill his unit of rust stalkers or his unit of infiltrators in exchange, and it's going to be such a favorable exchange. Well, that one not so much because it's like 85 points, but it's still it's still in your favor, right? So I, I I kind of I kind of agree with Brad a little bit. I, I'm I'm a little surprised you didn't take direct assault or stranglehold just because you have so many cheap combat units that you can kind of blast forward. Would that be something you consider, like knowing now what that list does, the admex stuff does? That's something you'd think about. Uh, well, as you'll find out in the in the the next game, uh, no, uh, I give him a lot of of respect um, just because you know I know that he gets more games than I do. Uh, so I was just kind of feeling out what his army would do, and I know that uh, Siegler does not take uh, any unnecessary risks. So I had to up, uh, upset the, his flow, um, and I don't I don't know I just. I didn't feel like I could have uh, gotten more points on the those secondaries, but y- you guys are probably more right than than I am. Uh, it just it felt like it was going to be a little bit futile to fight over the center uh, with him. So walk me through the game and kind of tell me where you feel like it went awry for you. Like where where are some ways that you could have maybe changed your game plan up a little bit, score more points, maybe deny him a little bit. So it's actually funny, um, that game ended, I want to say he got a 97 or a 100, and I got 87 points. Uh, the game wasn't close, but because he didn't have to do, he didn't have to overextend, I was able to just run around and get my points anyways. I, I, got, I got second turn. He, you know, moved up with his Raiders uh, and kind of, you know, took a couple pot shots, tried to, you know, take out a, um, one of my Raiders, the vehicle, um, with his rangers, and he just kind of like, you know, sat on objectives. And then my turn, you know, I tried to clear out as much rangers, like, uh, rangers as I could, and I also tried to attempt to uh, get into his rangers with my big reaver jet bike unit, not to tie them up because he had multiple ways of giving them fall back and shoot, but to at least try to start diminishing their, their numbers um, because I had kind of done the math and that unit with reroll to wound rolls and the additional AP on um, their melee attacks uh, could then out that unit quite efficiently. Um, but unfortunately, I failed a four inch charge twice, uh, so that didn't happen. Uh, his turn. Ouch! Yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna leave a mark. <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough, and you know, um, harkening back to the first time we ever played, I was playing uh, Tyranids. And I failed every single charge that um, I went to make on my turn two against him. It, it's a it's a theme, unfortunately. But um, he ended up giving me a five on my primary, and I actually did make a big play to push into his left flank, my right. Uh, he had uh, one of the objectives was kind of sitting out, uh, like peeking out to where you know you could be on the other side of a wall and still t- steal it. And I ran in there with Incubi which is and Drezar, and I cleared it mostly out so that I could take it from him, and I cleared him off of the center objective. So I did give him a five on primary um, his turn two, but then he cleared out that space no problem. He sent his, uh, his Rust Stalkers in there, and uh, those Rust Stalkers are super nasty. He told me all of the different buffs that they had on them, and I guess they do mortals in close combat too. And he was like, do you, do you want me to roll it out? It's like 60 attacks. And I was like, nah, you know what? Drazar's dead, you know? And the game kind of 
progressed in a way where I was making desperate moves to get in his his guts and try to you know kill that one vehicle that he had, or to you know push him off objectives and just get my my um, my take them alive points while also trying to clear spots to where I could get retrieve Octavius data. Um, the end of the game, I was able to kill all, all of his characters and uh, in close combat, and really like he only had a couple of units left. But by that point, uh, the the race had already ended. He had already you know secured those fifteen on each of his secondaries, and he had gotten forty points on primary after the the one time that I gave him the five point uh, thing, and I was only scoring you know ten points on mine. So it, it is what it is. Do you feel like there was a time where maybe you could have? Do you feel like you went too aggressive in the game, or do you feel like there was different like moves you could have made early on to change the pace and kind of limit the outcome of maybe losing Drazar and those two units on the flank? Because that feels like a turning point to me, where you you took the flank at the ninety, but then you lost a big a big heart of your army in the backfield, and when you lose that, clearly that's gonna out, that you're gonna lose some pace and momentum whenever you lose something. Yeah, like so. That. Um... I'm actually not very used to playing. I know you know I've been playing Dark Elder for a couple of months, but I'm not used to playing T3 melee armies. And so um, I, lo- I learned more losing this game and the next one, um, and then having discussions with like Tim Penny on how to mitigate losses in close combat when you're a close combat army. Um, you know some tricks that you can do to make it more favorable for you, um, but those weren't skills that I had at the time. And so I, I don't know if I could have done anything different to push the outcome into my favor. Um, he's, you know, more practiced and, uh, well, it, going, you know, going into that, I mean, mm-hmm. is there, is there now that you do know some of those things, do you think it would have made a, a bigger difference? Yeah, absolutely. I would have been able to do, more combats in different areas and not lose my key units. Like um, something that I found happening to me often this whole, the whole weekend was I would charge, you know, here and then I would charge here. I would kill one unit. They would interrupt and annihilate the other unit that had not yet swung. Um, I had learned that if you pair units and have a cheap weak unit touch a bunch of stuff and then have the strong unit engaged, but only, you know, within an inch of one model. That's right. Then exactly. they, can, they can only swing back at where you want to attack. Yeah, that is that is just the key to stopping. I used to actually, it's funny that you said that because I actually didn't realize a lot of times how people were having trouble with fight last because I was so used to doing it. I took it for granted uh, on that. Yeah, it's a, it's a super, like, I. it's not something that occurred to me because, you know, I'm a I, I play Tau. Tau is like my main army. I'm a filthy Tau player. And then my secondary army is guard. So I primarily play shooting armies, and I'm not very good at the mechanics of close combat. And so here I am playing a close combat army. I'm just like, oh, well, I'll just obliterate stuff in close combat. I don't have to worry about anything. And, and you just can't do that, you know? So it's just uh, something that I had learned after the fact. And um, I did actually get to use it in a practice game against Admech uh, this last weekend. And I you know, showed it off and it, it worked exactly the way that I wanted it to. So it's a great resource. hundred percent. Good. Brad, can you, can you walk us through that play for those listening? Just tell us, give us kind of a detailed walkthrough on what well, he's talking I'll about. I'll use it like, a, because it, when it first started coming up on this, like you have a unit, say 
Death Shroud Terminators or just anybody that can get you, you get that fight last on you. So what you do is you take, uh, we'll do it with the Dark Eldar. You want to fight with your your Succubus. You want to fight with your 10-man uh, Blood Brides or whatever, just whatever unit you want to have hit that unit. Well, you take five warriors, five racks, five random scrubs, and what you do is you base all of those models. You charge them first, you get in there, and you touch everyone, and then you charge in with your character, your unit, or whatever, and you basically stay one inch away. So what happens is, because you've based all of them, they can't move those models. So they can't move them to um, put more attacks on the unit that you really want to fight, that succubus, that whoever, that, you know, the big dog unit that you have. So what happens is, is you get to still fight with that unit uh, because of the fact that he's only going to put that one guy or whatever into you as opposed to all five guys, the 10 guys, the whatever. So that's why you want to base those so they can't move in and attack who they actually want. You don't care the fact that they're going to kill those five warriors, those five racks, those literally five whoever's, you know what I mean, that you're you're putting it in there. You're, those guys are literally specifically just there so that that other the other parts of the unit, those other models in the unit, can't consolidate over to you when they do their pylons, so they can't put their attacks on because they're not within that inch for you. Was there a moment in your game, Will, where that would have been pivotal for you? Like, look, just thinking back on, like, the combat with Drazar down there with the Rust Stalkers, or maybe your priority going into that, maybe there was a different assault you could have done that would have been more favorable using this strategy? Were there any times like that? that Not in the first game. The second game, absolutely, but not in the first one. The first one, Drazar cleared that flank no problem. Uh, the, the the big problem was, and and Siegel actually talked to me about this in the second game, is I was using the Reavers as a hitting unit, when actually you should be using Reavers as a screening unit. Um, the Rustalker stayed in his central deployment zone until he needed to use them to clear out his uh, his you know his area. And if I had used the Reavers to make a large line to where he could not cross them, I could have cleared that uh, flank out and then held that flank for at least one more turn and set up my charge instead of him charging into me. Um, but that comes up in the second game. Let's talk. Let's let's talk about your second game. It sounds like the first game you kind of got Siegelered. It sounds like you hit you hit a player who's a seasoned vet. He he had some stuff you didn't know what it did, and then you played him again. And I'm I'm interested to hear how the second game went. So kind of walk us through the mission, secondaries, and all that. So the second game was the Vanguard deployment with the six objectives, uh, with the secondary where you have a guy do an action, and then on your next command phase you get points equal to how many of the objectives that you own. Um, I cannot remember the name. Data Data Intercept is the the secondary. I can't remember. The Vital intelligence. Vital intelligence. Thank you. You are so good at this. Um, so. In, in that one, um, I deployed very centrally. I was going to use one of my incubi units to, to do my vital intelligence um, or my, my data intercept secondary. I did take, uh, take them alive again. It's, it's good. I thought it was going to be you know, another solid one to take, and then I took Rod as well. Um, it just it worked well for me. So in that one, I ended up going first, and he, he made a really like smart play. He put um, both of his raiders and this small unit of vanguard on um, his extreme right, uh, right at the line. Um, and I really didn't put too much out because at this point he had already beaten me. Um, you know, I, I still didn't really understand how his army uh, worked because it was a close combat admech army. 
and I was still giving a lot of respect and a lot of room. And uh, honestly, that's, you know, my fault. But what he did is he used his, uh, his two Raider units to, uh, screw, like, they, they got to use their pregame move and move them up with the uh, little uh, um, Ranger squad into one of the outskirt um, terrain pieces that gave you the minus one to hit, the dense terrain. And basically he was going to use those two Raider squads as shields to get them across the table to, to get his unsafe retrieve Octarius data because he did take a rod in that, in that mission. Um, and so in that game, I made a really big push to my extreme left to try and at least get rid of those rod units. Um, I killed quite a few uh, Raiders, but I just didn't hit hard enough. And um, I did wrap a Raider unit to try and keep both my Hellions and my Reavers from getting shot the next turn. Uh, but he ended up using the, the the Desperate Breakout, and he actually moved over my stuff to steal um, both of my left flank objectives from me, because uh, at that point I only had Mandrix on there. Um, and this was one of the games that was being streamed, and uh, supposedly uh, Nick was commentating that I needed to be aggressive and start pushing towards uh, uh, Sigler's right, right flank, and that flank had, like, all the five-man Vanguard units. His Ranger unit was uh, his big twenty-man Ranger unit was down in the um, in between the his uh, left and right flank, kind of getting a good strong uh, line of sight uh, down the the range. Um, and I needed to move in to to try and take that side. And I guess I did it a turn too late. And by that point, Sigler had already gotten in control. Um, of the of the game and there was really not much I could do. I actually scored a lot worse in this one than I did in the first one. But go ahead. What were your take homes on the on this one then? Because you said you had a lot of a lot more thoughts kind of on how you would have played it differently. What where did you feel like it so went south for you? When I did finally make the play to go into Siegler's left flank, I sent in um two yeah two units of incubi uh, one unit of Succubus, uh, or uh, sorry, one unit of Witches. Um, I did not have Drazar over there, and I was going to do like a one-two punch where I sent that stuff in first, and then I had uh, my 10-man Witch unit uh, coming uh, the next turn. So after that game, after I'd lost, uh, um, Secret kind of, <laughs> he kind of, uh, you know, gave me uh, the, you know, disappointed dad talk. He was like, look, man, I was screaming my head uh, over this. You needed to take these reavers and block off my melee uh, units so that I could not counterpunch you. You had me tied up all in here. You were, you had all of this under control, but because I could, you know, move out with my my um, rust stalkers, I was going to take this back no problem. You should have done this. You should have done that. You know, very like, I'm sorry, Dad. I, I didn't mean to disappoint you. Kind of kind of deal. Um, I'm but, not even mad. I'm just disappointed. It, 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 dude, it's, there's nothing. I don't know if any, either of you guys have been talked uh, talked down to by, by Richard, but it's like, it's like, damn, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to, man. Um, but yeah, it, if I had gone harder, he said if I'd gone harder on that flank a turn uh, earlier and I used the reviewers or even the Hellions to um, attempt to block out his Rust Stalkers, um, that game would have been much closer and it could have actually been mine. If I had just ignored... Uh, my left flank and let him do whatever he wanted to do with those Raiders and the, the small, you know, Ranger unit had to clear that whole, um, whole corner out easy peasy. And then as long as I keep his rust from getting into my guts, the game is in my control. 
I just, I couldn't see it. And, you know, he's playing with three books worth of rules. It was very hard to get an advantage with like agents of X. Um, it was very hard to, to stop him from doing whatever he wanted to do because he had, you know, uh, auto advanced six inches or, you know, uh, three, six, uh, charges, take the, the two highest or, you know, advance and charge. He had all of these different ways to like get extra attacks or get extra strength in, um, in close combat. And it was very just difficult to see where I could engage with, uh, and be safe. But if I had those little tricks, you know, I had used my flat fast flying units to make screens, or if I had used my weaker units to protect my stronger units, I could have, I could have won it. I think what's crazy about his list actually is he has like duplicate of all the strats too. So like a lot of the strats he get, he actually has duplicity in. So even if you did vect it, he could still do a six inch auto advance with the Raiders, which is pretty, pretty wacky. Um, Will, why don't you tell us? So the thing, one of the things your take home was using the Reavers as a screen when you instead of using them as a punch. Could you kind of explain to some of the people listening what that screen looks like as you advance in? Kind of what, how you're using them to block out the rust stock? Yeah. So the idea is instead of taking them in a big nine man unit, um, I was told that you know Nick takes them in three three man units, very bare, give them the T five instead of you know giving them offensive output. I, I was using them wrong. I was using them offensively instead of defensively. But basically, what you can do is you flat out. Like you can, they auto advance eight inches, right? And then their base movement is eighteen. So on the turn that you want to go in, and you know that your opponent has like a counterpunch unit, what you would do is you figure out where they're at, and then auto advance, you know, was twenty six inches, and put three guys here, and you stretch them out, uh, you know, to to max uh, their their coherency, but make it to where you know his stuff. If they declare a charge, they can't slip through. And then you use the next one, you set it up, and then you use the next one, you set it up, and you basically make a box. To where they can't they can't move to get to where they want to be, and then they you, they basically become a speed bump. It's like uh, how tower players are supposed to use crew. You know, crew if crew were good. It's like dropping a, it's like dropping a barrier in front of or a ruin in front of a knight. You know, they just can't go through it. They have to go around it. So you create you create this unnecessary inches for them to have to get around. Exactly. The so I could have done that with my nine man uh, reaver unit and let them die. And then the next turn, I could have done the exact same thing with my 10-man Hellion unit and let them die. And by all of those, you know, Incubi and Witches and Succubi and whatever, two turns worth of just doing whatever the hell they want to do. After playing this, you think we'll we'll go into this in the Bran Hour a little bit more. But they're exactly the Witching Hour. You know what? Uh, remind me of that. I've got so many questions, but I don't want to jump the gun. Who would It'll truly be the witching hour, actually, because we're talking about Dark Eldar. So the Brad witching hour, talking about witches. Oh, it's tight. Witch things I'm down. It's awesome. For an hour. It sounds like a lot of your issue going to this event, honestly, was an issue I faced. And it was a knowledge gap issue because in the time that I presume the same time that you had a baby, we had a baby also. So it was kind of this this gap where I didn't really discover a lot of what Admech did or a lot of what the new sisters book did, which is like such a huge part of the meta. So going into that blind is tough. And I think myself, myself, when I, as I was playing through, I feel like I kind of evolved as a player through eight games. And I'm sure you kind of did the same thing where you hit something. You're like, oh, okay, that's what that does. And you move on. And uh, I could I could tell from game one to game two, that's kind of where you were at. You know, you were playing Admech and then you played the same, probably best Admech player out there right now, twice in a row. So yeah, it was, it was definitely rough. And, you know, to harken back to the first time I got to play Dark Eldar, I had spent two and a half months building and painting my stuff, you know, just to, to get it ready for a GT, no practice. And I did fairly well with them. So I just assumed I could do the exact same thing. I didn't think I was going to get 
Richard and then get Richard again. That was a, <laughs> that was a big kick to the gut, man. It's the classic double Siegler, man. It's a, uh, it's a thing, but, uh, Brad, do you have any other questions for uh, Will today? I will do all of my questions in the Witching Hour Part Do the Brad time. The Brad, the Brad Hour is upon us. We do have a Q&A that we do for our Art of War War Room members, which is one of our Facebook groups. I'm a member, I believe. Will, you're a member as well. It is that you can subscribe by going to theartofwar40k.com. Check out the War Room. Check out our other podcast, The Art of War Vanilla with... Tim Penny and John Lennon and the art of war down under with the light and great. Adam Again, Camilleri. late and great. I love it. I love that I you stuck to that since you did it. He, he's, he's alive. He's alive and well, he's doing great, but he is late. He's always late. The late and great, but we do have a Q and a where we ask all of our war room members questions of our guests. I was once again, a little bit late with it, but I have my standing question that I ask every guest. I am a war room member. So I have the right Will, what event are you doing this fall? Do you have any others you plan on going to? Yeah, so um, I go to some of our local GTs. Um, we have one at this place called Campus Cards and Game in uh, Winter Garden. They have one that's coming up on the 18th. Uh, so if you're from Florida, go check it out. Uh, we have Crucible coming in October. Uh, Crucible is like the, except for the GW event, the biggest GT in Florida. Um, it's held in Orlando. It's got great terrain great vibe i've been going ever since i started trying to be a competitive player actually the first time i got to play against john lennon was at a crucible uh back in 2000 was it 2014 it was it was a while ago um when the boy king was actually a boy when the boy king he was so he was 18 i think he just turned 18 and I, he hates this story but um, I do believe his mother called the event organizer, Tim Wright, to make sure that it was okay for him to attend. So That makes me so happy, and yeah, I will yeah, definitely that's... tell him about this later tonight. Yeah, I want to make sure his mom gets permission for every tournament he goes to from now on. That's just going to be a thing. I want to make sure his mom calls the organizer. Do it. Um, so that's in October. Uh, in November, we have another GT in Tampa at Onslaught. Oh, no, sorry. It's called Onslaught War Games. It's in the Strange Realms in Tampa. Uh, that's actually where I took my uh, Dark Elder the first time. Uh, that's where I went 4-1, and one, and Lennon decided he, decided he want to show up and ruin the fun for everybody. He won that one. And uh, I guess that, that is the fall into the winter. I, I want to go to the Apple G uh, thing in, in NOLA, too, if that happens. Uh, that's Those are my plans. Yeah, cool. If you go to New Orleans, I'll definitely see you down there. You know, I might make a move to go to that Tampa GT too, to be honest, because that's come my that's my stomping grounds down there. So I mean, I may see it down there too. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Florida Man, the Florida Man podcast? It, uh, just give us a little rundown on it, also while you're on here. Right. So uh, me, uh, Dan Smith, the other co-founder of uh, Brohammer, uh, John Lennon, and Tim Penny, we do a podcast uh, talking about events, uh, trying to break down uh, the different books that have been coming out, uh, give our own Florida perspective on what's going on. Uh, and it's, you know, varying degrees of, how do you say, input. You know, you've got the, the seasoned veteran Lennon, uh, and then you've got, you know, the ramblings of three guys who are and one players. So it's a fun time. We're currently going to be on hiatus just because Lennon is very busy doing uh, events. Tim is very busy doing other podcasts. Uh, me and Dan are going to try to put some stuff out in between, uh, but season two is currently over, but we have at least, I want to say, 12 episodes that you can listen to, uh, and I think that they're they're fun. 
And I'll tell you, since it is the Florida Man podcast, there is nudity, there are alligators, and there are people eating faces after doing bath salts. It is an absolute riot, so make sure to check it out. So check out our other products, like I said, at theartofwar40k.com. Thanks for listening. Join us for part deuce for the witching hour. Thanks for listening. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com.